Finding additional revenue through the enterprises of your current operation might be like trying to squeeze blood from a turnip, but what you might be passing over is the income that could be generated from non-traditional or even non-agricultural enterprises. I think if you just look back in, in time, I think maybe the old-fashioned way was a, a pretty darn good way. Today, Sean Freeland, a rancher from Caputa, South Dakota, joins me to talk about how a catastrophic weather event caused he and his wife to reevaluate what they were doing and now use their ranch and their knowledge of ranching to add some not-so-common types of enterprises into their operation on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and glad to have you here joining us today. By the way, this is episode 47, and uh, thanks for those of you joining us here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. You're going to find us right here every Saturday and Sunday, so if you miss one or the other day, uh, you can catch one there. Also, if you miss it completely, well, here's an easy way to go, and that is search any podcast provider out there. Search under Working Ranch Radio Show, there will be. And today's episode is episode 47, so uh, you'll be able to find it that way. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been kind of a busy week here on the X-Ring Ranch in northeast Wyoming. We've actually had some pretty good weather uh, for to get to kind of get things done for fall work, and there's never a shortage of fall work. I know that's kind of where a lot of us are at. It's kind of a joke whenever I see somebody. I say, so y'all done with your fall work and moving on to, into winter work, and everybody just kind of laughs because it seems like fall work never ends but nevertheless we've had some pretty good weather we were able to get our steer calves shipped out to a feedlot in Iowa this last week and uh, weaning heifers at the same time getting ready to send them off to a feedlot uh, in Wyoming here and so just kind of a busy week for all of us and I know a lot of folks in the ranching industry from about uh, well this year with some drought situations probably from September up until now and even further it's uh, been kind of that same story for a lot of you so uh, it's just kind of that time of the year. Well, as we look at what we have on our show today, if you heard in the opening, uh, we're going to be talking with Sean Freeland. He and his wife, Christy, ranch uh, at Caputa, South Dakota. Now, if you're not sure where that is, well, if you know where Rapid City, South Dakota is, well, it's just on the outskirts of Rapid City, South Dakota. So that, uh, Sean, we're going to be visiting with him about how they evolved. Their ranching operation evolved from uh, really a very, very traditional ranch, uh, a cow-calf operation, to incorporating some other enterprises. And we're going to talk about that story and how and how and why they moved that direction. Really interesting story, and I think you're going to enjoy that conversation today that I have with Sean Freeland. Also, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be by here in just a moment with his uh, this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. And then, of course, in our last segment today, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us as we take a look at what our long-term weather is looking like here for the remainder of the month of November and are we on track with what he thought or what he was predicting for our winter weather as we look into December, January, and February. Right now, a thank you to the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. You know, Simmental is kind of known as the science breed and through programs like their Carcass Merit Program, 
feed conversion data, calving ease research established by Simmental as now as uh, the beef industry leader combining growth and carcass value with some outstanding cow traits. Research that's backed by some of the most extensive documented genetics and largest multi-breed database in the industry. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Other sponsors include Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Performance Beef. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Hargrove Ranch Insurance. They're providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers all across the nation. There might be some deadlines coming up, so give them a call. Contact Hargrove Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. And finally, we are in the bull buying season and uh, there's one you need to put on your calendar. It's coming up Monday, November 22nd. That is the Monday before Thanksgiving and that's Keneally Angus. And I know a lot of folks, you've heard of that name. It's uh, been around for quite some time. If you'd like more information or to request a catalog, go to their website at keneallyangus.com. Now here's the deal. You're probably not going to be using these bulls until spring, and they have free wintering and free delivery nationwide. So give them a call, Jerry, Gabriel, or Jed. They're at Keneally Angus out of Whitman, Nebraska. Their fall bull sale coming up on Monday, November 22nd. Well, now let's check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin, I know you're just as excited as I am because here in less than a month, we are going to be standing up on stage right here in Las Vegas, Nevada, December 8th to 10th, our very, very first Working Ranch Expo here at the Las Vegas Convention Center to coincide with the final week of NFR. We're just up the way from Cowboy Christmas. It's a short walk and we got some great speakers. One of them, I think a lot of you folks are going to be uh, really excited to hear uh, Thursday, December 9th at 9.30 a.m., Water and the West. Just how safe are your water rights? Are you sure? Our speaker, Albert Barker with Barker, Rochelle, and Simpson LLP. Albert Barker has been counsel in water rights and right-of-way litigation, Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, Superfund, and other environmental litigation. Mr. Barker was appointed to serve on the Idaho Water Resource Board. Now, our very own Drew Lawler will be handling that session. Drew has come up with a list of pretty uh, comprehensive questions for Mr. Barker. All questions that we as ranchers and um, people in the industry really want to know the answers to. So stay tuned. Justin, safe travels, and we'll catch you in a month. Ah, you bet, Captain. We are looking forward to being down there in Las Vegas just less than a month out. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I know last week I mentioned this. I'm looking forward to meeting back up with Lamar Steiger. I had him on our show clear back last winter as we were talking about Walmart uh, and their uh, their uh, beef chain. He's going to be talking about reimagining the beef case and how Walmart and Forty Fort Farms uh, reshaping the beef industry. Lamar Steiger going to be again talking on that. I want to thank Beringer Ingelheim 
time for bringing in Lamar to help us out with that. Also, Dr. Joe Gillespie, speaking of Beringer Ingelheim, he is going to be talking on parasites, understanding the first step toward an outbound ticket, getting them gun, uh, control of parasites in your cattle. And like the captain said, boy, I'll tell you what, we have got a good list of speakers. And uh, from here until we get to that event, we will continue to highlight some of those speakers that you will definitely not want to miss. So be sure to join us December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas for this year's Working Ranch Expo. We'll stay with us when we come back. We're going to get into our featured interview today. Sean Freeland out of South Dakota joining me to talk about how they evolved and changed their operation and adding some very unique enterprises into their agricultural operation. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Fertility from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sire. So... The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all gain-smart mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big-time return on your investment. To find which GainSmart mineral formula is right for your herd, visit GainSmart.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're glad to have you tuning in here today with us. Our featured interview today is being brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Well, my guest, as I said at the beginning of the program, is Sean Freeland. And Sean and his wife, Christy, own and operate their ranch, Dry Creek Farm and Ranch, near Caputa, South Dakota. Now, if you're not sure what Caputa, South Dakota is at or where it's at, well, if you know where Rapid City is, then you're not far off. It's just on the outside of Rapid City there on the eastern edge of the Black Hills of South Dakota. And uh, Sean and his wife, Christy, along with their two daughters, have operated their ranch now for several years. And so, Sean, with that, I'm glad to have you join us here on our program today. You bet, Justin. Glad to be here. Well, Sean, uh, part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you, I've known you, you and I have known each other for several years now, and uh, and I'm kind of familiar with, with your operation, but I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to reach out to you and talk talk with you is because I know you, uh, I, I want you to kind of share your story because I know you have went through the process of of very being probably a very traditional uh, farm and ranch operation, and and as as you've evolved here in the last several years, you've went through a variety of, I guess, what I would consider to be uh, evolution phases as you've grown your operation, and you went from a traditional operation continuing to do 
um, you know, traditional agriculture, but at the same time, incorporating an educational component to your operation that uh, has has uh, has been something that you've added. And so, as as we start here first, I want you to, to explain first, I guess, how you know, if we were to look back, say say ten years in your operation, what did that look like? Where did you start, and what did that op- your your enterprise and your branch look like? Right. So. I'd say 10 years ago, just like you said, it was definitely just, uh, you know, traditional ranch. Um, we have some irrigation, so we were, um, you know, doing lots of hay and uh, just primarily forage crops and alfalfa. And, and most all of that hay we fed back to, to our own cows. And so it was just kind of a, oh, you know, like I said, a traditional ranching operation. We'd, we were, we had a goal or I did, I guess my family wondered why I had this goal, but my goal was to get to 600 cows is, um, I basically grew up in town and didn't grow up on a ranch. So I just wanted to be the best I could be at what I was doing. And, uh, at that time it, to me to have you know, the most cows was the way to do it. I've always had a passion for cows and grass and, uh, I got really good at the cow part of it, but not so good at the grass part of it. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Anyway, we were we were pretty conventional and um, did everything. We chopped silage and fed cows in bunks, and we um, wean calves and fed those in lots or sent them to feedlots, and um, just did a lot of a lot of equipment, a lot of moving parts, uh, a lot of stress, and a lot of. Uh, definitely uh some hard times that i put my family through mm-hmm. those days so i i'm guessing with that as you as you look back on it now as, as you began to make changes what were some of the uh catalysts what were some of the things that moved you to say there's something that we have to do different right so there's a couple of things um the educational component came I, I think i could pin it down on storm atlas in 2013 we uh, just couldn't believe some of the things that were coming out of the newspaper and some of the, uh, the, I don't know, Facebook and just different things that people were saying about what ranchers should have done with their cattle before that storm. And so that kind of drove me to finding ways to be able to tell our story to our community. Um, and so we took a couple different paths to do that. And, and then a few years later, 2016, came along and we got really dry the first part of 2016 and and like i said i just had that goal to have 600 cows and i really didn't have a reason why other than i wanted 600 cows and i just started to learn some a few different things and on grazing and we decided to i guess right then we decided well let's try grazing these pivots instead of haying them um, mm-hmm. see if we can get by doing that and save the cows keep the cows around a little longer so we did that and and then we saw that we planted a, we no-tailed in a, a cover crop, or a, I call it a multi-species forage crop anymore, but just a diverse mix of warm season plants and sunflowers and sorghums and um, a few turnips and all that different thing. I think there was about 21 species in that mix. And and with the goal of grazing that through the winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got a, we were able to graze till late June, and then we planted that into there and we were able to graze through the winter we, we ended up destocking then we started to see things happening with our soil and then and 
and the inputs that we didn't have into that system mm-hmm. and the light bulb came on for me then so we just started searching of different ways of how to make that better how to mm-hmm. scale that up i guess so from that process I, I know you became very educated in understanding soil biology and really became not only did you from a student, but I mean, now at this point in time, I mean, you're, you're a resource. I know you've been a resource for me in terms of understanding uh, and, and being an educational component about the importance of the, of the biology in our soil. And so that really, as you talked about just a little bit, bit ago was kind of a light bulb moment and so with that in mind, how did that change your operation? All right. So then after I kind of learned a little bit more about the soil health part of it, about what's under our feed, I, I realized that all along we were, you know, really good with the cows and got really good at being able to doctor cattle and, and diagnosing what was wrong. But I, I always told my wife, Christy, I just, there's always, there's something wrong with this soil. And I, I don't understand why we have so much trouble. But once I figured that out, it's basically the foundation. So once you get the foundation right, you, you don't have to put the band-aids on anymore. So you can, you just, everything kind of grows from there. So you can get the soil right. There's health, there's health there. And it just breeds up through the plants and the livestock. And um, so that's kind of what we focus on now. We just focus on the soil first and the rest will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Was the move, uh, to get away from less machinery and move to more um, animal grazing and, and not have so much input cost was that tough for you? There's probably some economical reasons you went that way, but just from moving away from that traditional component to saying we're we're, we're just going to graze into this pivot instead of farm it was that tough? Yeah, it was, it was really hard. It it was. Uh, I tell everybody it was like getting ready to jump off a cliff because you just did not. No, at that time there was really nobody around doing any anything like that. So it took a some amount of effort and resource to go find people that were, you know, doing something different, and then to try to come up with the same amount of forage that I knew that I could get hay in that piece of ground. And you know, so I I knew I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be a total flop, but you just you just you're do, you're thinking the dollars and cents in your head on what you can hay, and then the it, can I come up with that much forge and just graze it? Mm-hmm. That that was a tough one for me. So it took a lot of effort to figure that out. And once we did, it's been it's been no turning back. And yeah, you're right on the economical part of it. We were kind of needing upgrade equipment, so I was pricing equipment, and I just couldn't believe the the prices of it. And you start to think about you know taking care of your equipment. Well, I I'm going to need a bigger shed for this piece of equipment or you know, to keep stuff in good shape, you kind of want to keep it inside in the winter and, and so on. But just I just couldn't make that work in my head. And so that's what kind of got me looking for a different way to, to graze and see if it was profitable on irrigation. And it is as long as you take out the inputs. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of Caputa, South Dakota. Uh, we're talking about how they uh, their ranching operation has evolved to incorporate some non-traditional type uh, ag enterprises. We're going to get to that in just a bit more as we talk more about that when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
There's assurance in buying bulls from a proven program, and a program that's been proven time and time again is Keneally Angus. So mark your calendar now for Keneally Angus Fall Bull Sale, Monday, November 22nd, the Monday before Thanksgiving, offering approximately 350 head of fully guaranteed older bulls with free wintering and free delivery nationwide. These are bulls out of the industry's leading sires with genomic-enhanced EPDs. They'll also be offering six head of heifer calves. Remote bidding will be available so for more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. It's Keneally Angus Fall Bull Sale, Monday, November 22nd at 12 noon Mountain, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. My guest today is Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of Caputa, South Dakota. Now, as I said earlier, if you're not really familiar with what that where that town is located, well, if you know where Rapid City, South Dakota is, well, then you're pretty close. It's uh, Caputa is just southeast of there, just a little ways. Uh, on the eastern edge of the Black Hills, of course, is where uh, this location is at. And uh, at, at the beginning of the program, I introduced the fact that uh, we're going to be talking with Sean Freeland and he and his wife, Christy, and their two daughters have lived and operated their farm and ranch there for several years. And Moving into some different components to incorporate in their farming and ranch operation is basically what we've been talking about today. And Sean, before the break, we talked about how you had moved away from getting away from uh, more mechanical farming, uh, ranching style and grazing under pivots and trying to lower your input costs. So as we look at that today, and I know we've also had a couple years of drought that has affected, would affect anybody's operation, has affected yours as well. So if you look at your operation today, what are we seeing after you've made some of those changes to move away from higher input costs and try to reduce your your inputs and, and utilize grazing for your mechanism of removing forage well so it's kind of changed so before i would just feed my way through it and and i'm I'm still digging my way out of that hole i think and um now we're you know in our second year drought now so we've destocked some more and we're focusing more on the grass and on the on the soil and try to make sure that that rest is there and then we'll be We'll be able to restock when we need to. So our numbers are down, but I did notice, and it's kind of interesting this summer, some of the pastures that we've been working on the longest are definitely, you know, did a better job of, of holding through the summer where, where you kind of looked around the countryside and they looked pretty rough or we were still able to stay there and um, and the cattle are still kind of in those same areas. So it it's, there's definitely a benefit, mm-hmm. but but we try real hard not to abuse it and go back to the old, you know, get stuck in the rut and go back to the old system that we were doing before, mm-hmm. having to feed, having to feed a bunch. So, when you talked about uh, grazing under a pivot uh, at that particular time when you started doing that, there wasn't a lot of folks doing it. Maybe there's a, a few more now that have have turned that way, and it's not necessarily going to be a one size fits all. But if folks are, would be looking at grazing under a pivot, what are some things you would suggest that they need to be looking at or considering if they're going to make that move? Um, I guess I'd say start small. Uh, you know, there's there's tons of resources now, YouTube and all these different you know, Twitter and all these different resources that to check stuff out, podcast. I definitely do my, do my homework first and then maybe just try it in a spot and um, see what you think. It's important to remember to leave a lot of the residue there. So 
a lot of us want to, we've got this crop out there and we think we need to graze all of it to capture it all. And, and it ends up taking us backwards. So um, it's important to leave, or at least on our operation, we try to leave quite a bit of it there for the soil too. I know when folks look at some of the, the newer styles of grazing, of, of being cognizant of, of you know, if, if we're doing intentional grazing or high-intensity grazing and leaving that residue back there, um, and we hear them say that, well, the idea is that we can increase capacity on our operation by by leaving more and, and, and doing a good job of grazing. But I will tell you, from my own experience, that is it's hard to do. And so how do you move to beyond that? And because I think it gets back to what you were saying is you kind of felt like you were jumping off a cliff here and, and there's a part of it. If you were having to step back and really trust the science in this from your perspective, how do we make that jump? Uh, I think just educate yourself that, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. And that's the hardest thing to overcome is you think, you know, you're going to put up a hot wire and do this mob grazing through different areas and you're just going to automatically the, the next year increase your forage. And I've seen some spots. I've got one little pivot. I call my test plot pivot. And I, I, I see some areas there that are promising, but I've been doing it for about five years now, I guess. And I don't see a huge, you know, advantage of forage yet that i can see every year is different of course but but what i do see is when i take a spade and dig in the dig down i'm storing far more water than my neighbors i can i can you know dig up and look at that soil and see the aggregation and the infiltration that i'm getting so it's taking less water irrigation wise and rainwater to to grow that crop and Mm so i think it just adds up you know, little small incremental amounts. Um, And then over time, it ends up being a big deal. Mm -hmm. We're going to take another break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch is my guest today. And uh, Sean, we're going to get more into, I'm going to have you talk a little bit more about your educational component that you have for the public that's part of your operation. We're going to have you talk more about that, explain that when we come back. You're listening to the Working Ranch Radio Show on Row Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're glad to have you tuning in here today. By the way, this is episode 47. If you want to go back and listen to it on our podcast site, you can search that way and find it. Easy way to, to share this uh, the podcast as well or save it and listen to it later on. So uh, take a look there if you want to. Sean Freeland is my guest today with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of Caputa, South Dakota. He and his wife, Christy, and their daughters have operated the farm and ranch for, for many, many years. 
years, and I was intrigued with with Sean. I've known him for several years, but his uh, he's always been very curious and very uh, eager to learn new things, and not afraid, I guess, of stepping out, which is something that I think is is tough for a lot of us. And so, uh, Sean. You, you, we've got a lot of history about your operation up until now, and one of the components that you have since added uh, is is a educational component that is open to the public. And as you said earlier, that was the Storm Atlas kind of brought that along and kind of uh, kicked that off the ground in a ways, and there were some reasons behind that that you explained. But I wanted you to explain a little bit how you came to that, because I know for a lot of us that have ranches more than likely there's land that we also manage as well and and if there's ways that we can really be a good steward and maximize our potential one of these ways might be looking at things that are not traditional that are not common and i know when you add an educational component such as what you guys did that's not really normal for for a lot of folks so let's let's have you explain that a little bit more i know you've briefly outlined it a bit but let's go into it a little bit deeper into your educational component that you have as part of dry creek farm and ranch Right, so the, like I said, Storm Atlas definitely got us geared up to try to educate our community. I was amazed that in a rural area like Rapid City, South Dakota, the people they don't understand ranching or agriculture in general. And um, so, after going to the ranch for profit school and, and learning different ways to concessionize, I guess, or to stack enterprises and um, we decided to have a pumpkin patch and a corn maze, only it's not a corn maze. It's actually just a maze cut into that multi-species forage crop. So that stuff gets seven, eight feet tall, and we carve a kind of a design and a path through it and then get people to come out, and and they trip over a turnip and wonder why you have a turnip growing out in your field, and then you get that opportunity to tell them about diversity and soil health and then, and then just you know how healthy soil relates to healthy food and um we get to have that conversation and this year the what's really helped is the um i took him on a little hayride and it, it was kind of just one of those deals where it wasn't our normal hayride we used to just kind of drive down around and it's kind of a pretty spot down by the creek and then back around and um one day we we're kind of slow and i had a buddy and his family show up and so i took him on a little bit longer longer route and we've got some um some pigs on pastures that we showed them where the pigs were and, and then and then went down and showed them where the pigs are now and showed them the difference in the grass that that we've been able to produce from those pigs after about three months of, of grazing it was incredible and i i don't know what that component is other than different biology mm-hmm. um, you know above the ground but um so we go you know we just take a longer field trip and talk to people and show them not just animals but you know there's i had a a young kid say what why did you build a wall out here in your field and (laughs) we just drove by a windbreak you know so we these windbreaks we put up and every rancher is familiar with what a windbreak is but people in town don't know why you build those walls out in their pasture so so now we go you know take the the hayride past the windbreak and tell them why we make it in a V shape and face it to the Northwest, you know, for the bad storms and wind and um, how that deflects the snow and wind and, and the cattle are able to stay in that area. But it's, uh, it's, it's, you just don't know what you don't know unless ranchers take it for granted that, that people know what or should know it. So 
we just try to make it simple and and then answer as many questions as we can on that ride. We'll take as long as we, mm-hmm. as we need if we have lots of questions. Sean, we, we've talked about on our show, on the Working Ranch Radio Show, just about that we're, you know, we're always dealing in a society that is further and further removed from uh, the family farm, the family ranch. And, and I think for some, for some of us, it's like, well, you know, we don't really want to stop or interrupt what our normal routine is to take some time to educate people around us. So why did you do this? I mean, what, I mean, I know I realize it was the storm Atlas that, that kind of moved this way, but I mean, why did you want to stop doing your routine stuff and educate folks about agriculture? I don't, I don't know, even know how to explain it. It was definitely a drive and a pull from after storm Atlas. It's just one of those things where you get a burning in your gut and you want to do it. Um, one of the things we've done is changed our, you know, we went from a conventional type agriculture or livestock production to um, non-conventional where we're doing, we're finishing beef on grass on these pivots and also the pasture pork. And so we're, we're able to sell product, you know, right off our place now. So that, that adds another component of you know your farmer, know your rancher, mm-hmm. know where your food comes from and it gets people involved and kids can see it and feel it and um, see what they're eating and, and then get a chance to taste that product and mm-hmm. say, wow, that's totally different. Yeah. You've talked a little bit about some of the enterprises that you have there with the pasture pork, uh, the grass-fed beef. What what else enterprise makes up, uh, you know, your operation, Dry Creek Farm and Ranch? Um, let's see, pasture pork, uh, grass-fed beef, pumpkin patch, maize. Oh, I'd say that's that pretty much sums it up. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like we have our fingers in a lot of things. We're going every direction we can. Yeah. As you look through the process at where you've started and where you're at now, and I and I know other folks have thought about how can they concessionize their operation. What kind of advice would you give to folks if they're looking at maybe something different that's totally out of the realm of agriculture, but using the agricultural components on your ranch to help another enterprise on your on your place? What's that process look like? What, what's some advice you would offer? Um, look around on your place and see things that you're not using places. So that's kind of what we did on ours was uh, just between the feedlots and the different feeding areas and all over our place. We, it was about 60 acres that were just getting kind of wasted other than it was a good spot to feed in the winter. But it, on dry years, the dirt would blow and then we'd get weeds all summer. And um, so we kind of missed out on those areas. And then that's kind of where the pasture pork comes in. We run the pigs where the cows aren't for the most part you know have them have some effect on the land and change things and then you know there's always a a few acres here or there that you can carve out and do something different with if you you know maybe you don't maybe you only get a bale acre off of that spot so maybe it it might be worth trying something else stargazing or something i don't know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah In, in regards to to what took you started you down the road of of this whole process and that was just how how do you become more efficient and more effective as you look at that process and you were to sit down with a young guy getting started what advice would you offer them about how they proceed forward in their operation and looking at you know the economics of what they're doing and the returns of what's out there you know i think i wouldn't have said this at first i would have said go you know we went cold turkey and changed everything overnight 
and it's been a battle to keep up with it. Um, I would definitely say, you know, pick a start small, pick a smaller spot and, and work with that. Um, young guys that are, I know there's a stigma out there that nobody can take over a ranch and nobody can get into ranching or agriculture anymore. It's almost like you have to be royalty to get in, but I know that there's people that are wanting to retire that want somebody that has drive and motivation and, and then, you know, wants to respect the land and livestock and they're willing to help those type of people. And when you start to think about stacking enterprises, you know, that, that makes it even better. You could have, I had a guy call from Hawaii that was wanting to come out. He was all kinds of fired up. He wanted to come out and run some chickens somewhere. And I said, well, you're have at it. If you want to run pasture chickens on my place, I won't, you know, I just want a few birds for my family and, if, as long as you take care of them and do it right, why you're going to be helping my ground, mm-hmm. um, probably getting rid of insects and, and different pests, you know, that, that are bad for livestock and um, adding fertility and, and to the soil. So I was all for something like that. And I think the more we go down this road, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of people thinking the same way that we can, I don't necessarily want to mess with it, but if you want to do it, go ahead, here's the land to do it, because you're really not harming, you're not taking away from the other enterprises. Mm-hmm. Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of Caputa, South Dakota, located just southeast of Rapid City, South Dakota, is my guest today. We've been talking about how they have their ranching operation, Farm and Ranch, has evolved into now adding this educational component that is a, another revenue stream for their ranching operation. And I don't want to fail to mention his wife, Christy, and their two daughters, because really it's been a team effort with all of them together to make this happen. They all have been a part of it and believe in what they're doing and so I, I don't want to uh, just fail to mention them because I know Sean uh, you you feel that they've been an por- important part of your operation as well and so I want to make sure we recognize your family as well we're going to take a break here when we come back we've got one more segment with Sean as we talk about how this fits in with modern agriculture and the sustainability of it going forward we're going to talk about it more when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show Coming to the Las Vegas Convention Center, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, it's the Working Ranch Expo, brought to you by Working Ranch Magazine. It's thousands of feet of space filled with the ranch industry's leading equipment manufacturers and suppliers, plus great speakers that will inspire and educate you. And we're in the hall just across from Cowboy Christmas. Register to attend at WorkingRanchExpo.com. It's Working Ranch Expo by day, NFR by night. We'll see you at the Expo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're glad to have you tuned in here with us today. My guest, Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of South Dakota. We've been talking about how they've added a component to their operation that is more public and it's an educational component that uh, they earn additional revenue from and really a lot of that evolved as he became more educated in uh, not only was he good in ranching and and, and understood the skills there but then moving beyond that to really become a first a student and then quite uh, mastered at understanding the biology in the soil and and realizing how important it was to take what he knew what they knew as a family 
and get that, uh, allow that to be uh, open to the public through an educational component that they have in their operation. And so, Shauna, I want to move now because I know as we talk about this, there's different perspectives that people are going to take when they hear it. And that's going to be, you know, some are going to understand what you're doing and, and, and see the vitality to that. Others are going to maybe say, well, you know, I don't know. That just seems a little hokey to me. So how do you feel what you're doing fits into our heritage as ranchers and how we continue moving forward? I think it just you just take a step back in time, go back to 1937 or 40 or um, and I think you'd see that that's the way Ma and Pa did it all along. And they took care of the land, and they had multiple things growing and multiple livestock, and um, they were able to pull it off. And it's just been since we've been commercialized, and kind of since the industrial era, that we've been able to get bigger and stronger and better, and it spread us out. And it, it seems like anymore, you either have to be big or go home. Mm-hmm. And it, it's. Uh, I think if you just look back in, in time, I think maybe the old-fashioned way was a, a pretty darn good way. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations with a couple different folks, uh, Dr. Frank Mintlerner out of UC Davis, uh, Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson out of Colorado State University, and a lot of that's been talking about uh, uh, you know climate to sustainability in, in agriculture. Does, does how your operation look – what is your view in that in regards to the whole conversation about sustainability and what our livestock, our agricultural industry looks like going ahead? How does what you're doing fit into that conversation? Well, like, like I said earlier, we're storing more water. So we're not getting the runoff. Um, we're not polluting the streams and rivers. Um, and then by having plants growing, we try to keep something growing all year long in our crop ground and we try to do a better job in our you know on our pastures but so those those plants are sequestering carbon and you know pumping carbon into the soil every time the cow takes a bite of a plant uh, when it's green and growing that plant sends down you know signals to the through its roots and to the soil biology and says hey man i've i've been bit i need some nutrients and it in and i'll trade you some sugars and and some of this liquid carbon if you'll uh, give me some of these nutrients so I can regrow. And so that symbiotic relationship is what is building soil aggregation and storing carbon in the soil. So, I mean, if you're thinking about climate change and and worried about that, that's uh, this type of agriculture is probably something you need to really look at because it's, it's definitely – taking carbon out of the air and stored it in the ground. Mm-hmm. This question, I don't know. I mean, it's you, you, a bit ago we talked about we either have to be big or go home kind of a thing. But can and, and I know you're doing this on a, I would consider on a fairly large scale operation. I mean, in comparison to what the average size of the American farmer ranch is out there. So I would say it's fairly large scale. But on a bigger scale, can what you're doing be done on a much bigger scale? Oh, for sure. So I absolutely think it could be done on a bigger scale. And it, what it just needs is interest. So people get interested in it and they come up with great new innovative ideas. And um, I know SDSU a few years ago was looking for support on their new precision ag building. And, the, and they, uh, I said, that would be great, but it isn't just farming that needs it. The livestock industry needs precision ag. So if you're thinking 
um, GPS collars or something, some way to put on cows to be able to move them through pastures, you know, from your cell phone, that would be amazing. Instead of having to roll up electric fence, and a lot of people don't have the easiest country to do that in. But if you could take mobs of cattle and move them wherever you want, let them, you know, graze the hilltops and let them come down to the riparian areas of the water, creeks for a little bit, get a drink, and then move them out of there so that they don't, you know, slough off banks and do a lot of do a lot of damage on some of the native vegetation. It, it would be basically mimicking what the bison did and the predators did. It would be, uh, I think, it would that would be a breakthrough. And yeah, it would. It's uh, so. I think it can be. Uh, it can definitely be done on a large scale. I think it's just you have to be innovative and you have to, uh, you know, just think outside the box and. I'm sure there's people that are doing it way better than I am and, and figuring out ways to get it done. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean, we're going to get wrapped up here. appreciate you joining us on our program. Before we go, though, I always like to, you know, give our guests some final comments here as we, in, in light of what we've talked about and, and where you started to where you're at now, any final thoughts in regards to what we've talked about here today? I think the most important thing is just keep learning, never stop learning. Um, always just keep reaching out for, for different folks that are doing something that's interesting and new. And, um, and don't forget that all of us, everything comes from the soil. Everything comes from the ground up. So take care of the foundation, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Sean, I appreciate you joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And uh, I, I always enjoy visiting with you as we have visited off, you know, personally on our own operations back and forth. So I appreciate you joining us here on our program today. Sure. It was a good time. Thanks, Justin. Sean Freeland with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch out of Caputa, South Dakota, has been my guest today. I want to thank him for joining us. Uh, Shed a little bit more light on how they transformed and moved into adding a very non-traditional component to their agricultural operation, how that's an additional revenue stream, but also an important educational component to their community as well. I want to thank his wife, Christy, and their daughters uh, for uh, all their efforts and what they've done with Dry Creek Farm and Ranch. By the way, you know, if uh, one of the things that he mentioned, and I don't know if you listened to last week's podcast too, and that was with Jason Terrell as we were talking about stock dogs, there's a correlation that I'm beginning to see as I'm interviewing some of these guests that have have went on to become kind of teachers in, in their respective fields, and that is just continuing to be a person that is that can be educated, that can learn new things, not afraid to learn new things, and using the technology in front of us, YouTube, uh, Facebook, the internet, to find ways to be better in what you're doing. And I and I, I find that interesting that several guests that I've had here on our program have made those specific comments. And just like today, Sean had mentioned, you know, become educated, research, find out for yourself, learn, uh, be, a, be an aggressive learner. And, and so I find that interesting that that's been a commonality that I've that we've had with some of our guests. By the way, I wanted to also mention that if you do want to reach out to, and, and visit with Sean about how they moved into their educational component, uh, 
feel free to give them a call. Their website, if you look out, is at drycreek.com. They also have a Twitter handle as well. And then, of course, Facebook. You can find them on there, Dry Creek Farm and Ranch. Again, they're out of Caputa, South Dakota. Look them up. If you have any questions, don't be afraid to give Sean a call. Our featured interview today has been brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain Smart by Biozyme. We'll stay right here. When we come back, meteorologist Don Day joins us with a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA-subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below-average rainfall. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry-leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up-to-date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to our final segment here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as we take a look at our long-term weather today. Brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 and ask for a free custom quote or check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com well joining us now is meteorologist don day with a look at our weather and don thanks for joining us on our program today thanks for having me so with the la nina weather pattern that we have we're starting to see this we have seen it already and continuing to see fast moving storms just kind of coming through the country and of course the northern tier seems to be getting hit with some of the colder weather but some of this wind and and uh, and weather's even reaching down into the southeast part of the country but is that a pattern we're going to continue to see it will uh, this is a textbook la nina where you have really quick moving jet stream winds across the north pacific this is one reason why the month of october was really wet along the west coast and the pacific northwest now what we're seeing are these quick moving pacific systems riding along the northern tier of the u.s as they come off the pacific coast and then they they take a little turn to the southeast and are heading into the nation's midsection and, and turning into stronger storms once they get east of the rockies and, and this is something that i think is going to be reoccurring um what has just happened up uh, across south central areas of canada across parts of Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. That winter storm that uh, hit late in this past week, um, I think is is a precursor to what's to come for at least the beginning parts of winter across the northern tier of the U.S., southern Canada, and parts of the northwest United States. And you had mentioned the southeast United States getting some of the mm-hmm. cold as well. It does look like that as the winter season gets more mature, these systems will track further south and so will the cold. Mm-hmm. So with the cold, we haven't necessarily seen really significant cold weather. We've had some low temperatures and maybe some folks have seen some below normal temperatures, but really it hasn't been long standing and brutal. Are we going to see any of that really harsh weather here in the next uh, month or so? Well, 
That's a really good point. And, and we talked about those fast jet stream winds. And that's one reason why we haven't had a really big, let's say, Arctic outbreak yet or really severe cold because those very strong Pacific jet stream winds kind of act like a door, mm-hmm. not allowing that colder air from the northern latitudes to drop south. What you have to have happen is, is you have to have those jet stream winds sort of weaken a little bit so they take further dips along to the south that allow that colder air to creep further south. So what I think we're going to see here for probably another week or two is is that the protrusions of really cold, severe air will stay up north. But as we get into December and January and February, those three cold Mm -hmm. months that we normally expect the, the heart of winter to be in, we will see the jet stream winds slow down, take bigger turns to the south, and allow that deeper cold air to come in. So while it has been a pretty mild fall across most of North America, if you were to look at how temperatures have gone so far, don't think that that is necessarily a precursor of what's to come for the rest of the winter. Because Mm -hmm. while it may be mild to start, it'll probably be colder on the end. Okay. So based upon history, and I know that's what something you look at quite a bit, is what we are seeing, are we on track with what you kind of forecasted or thought we were going to see for our weather pattern both now and as we look into maybe two to three months out? It is certainly looking that way. Um, We are not seeing anything that would make us deviate course from looking at this upcoming winter season being colder than normal for most of the United States along and east of the Continental Divide. And I would include almost all of Canada in that as well, with the heart of the coldest winter conditions being in the upper Midwest and the Northern Plains states. But I think this is going to be a winter that only the desert Southwest and the far Southwest United States really escapes the winter cold this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're still very bullish on the uh, colder than normal winter in those areas I just mentioned. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here on this week's Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. That's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website is dayweather.com. You can check it out there for his daily video podcast. Our weather today brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance all across the nation. Check them out online at hargroveinsurance.com. Other sponsors include the American Simmental Association, Biozyme, protect and recovery with Vita Charge by Biozyme, Performance Beef. To find out more, go online and request a demo and Keneally Angus. Their fall bull sale Monday, November 22nd. For more information, go to KeneallyAngus.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. If you'd like to get a hold of me, send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for joining us where you'll find us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.